Well, good morning. It is so good to be back with everybody today. Uh, This past week, as Sam said, uh, they had five and six grade camp. And so during this week, I was able to go out and visit the camp. And a really cool thing happened. I didn't realize it, but one of my really good friends, my college roommate, was helping out at the camp. And so it was just so cool. to. He's Mark. I have talked about him before. I told him I've spoke about him. He's like, I have my friend Thor, who is like huge and thick. And then I have Mark, who is huge and thick. And then you have me, who's not really either of those, as I've been told. But just seeing Mark, he's a really good friend. Um, It was so cool just to be able to get back in his presence, be able to talk to him, catch up with him. Because that's not the way it is for everybody from back home for me. I mean, like, just to be honest, um, there's a lot of people I love, so many people from Coffeyville, where I'm from. Uh, I keep in contact with a couple, but as I moved away, there just became this little gap that happened. And maybe you can relate to that. I mean, how many of you growing up made that pact with your best friend? Like, hey, man, we're going to be best friends forever, your childhood best friend. And how many of you are still talking to that childhood best friend? And I mean, as you grow, oh, we got a couple. That's awesome. So, <laughs> they're each other. But uh, as, I mean, that's kind of what happens as you get older. Uh, interests change. Um, you go off to college. You, you get married. Some people don't get married. You just kind of have things that, that pull you apart or kind of put this little gap between you. And you're not so close to them. And, and so, like, with Mark, the cool thing is, is that, like, man, every time we see each other, it's just like we had seen each other d- the day before. We pick up where we left off, we're talking, we, with the conversation just flows naturally. But that's not the way it is with all of my past friends. A lot of my childhood friends I don't even uh, have communication with anymore. I, I don't necessarily know where they're at. I, and I went to a school of seven in my graduating class. So it's not like we got lost in the numbers. I mean, it was just that we, we kind of distanced as life went on. And the thing is, is that I see a lot of people do that with God. I mean, it's not just that we distance from friends of our past, but even believers, as we go through this thing called life, and as we're trying to live for Christ in everything that we do, distance sometimes happens. That we start to feel like, God, are you really there? I mean, there's even a worldview about that called agnosticism. Yeah, I believe God exists, but kind of he created everything. He made man and woman, and then he just said, cool, I'm going to like go take a back seat. I mean, it's kind of like whenever Elijah was battling the prophets of Baal, and Elijah throws out insults to the prophets of Baal and says, hey, maybe Baal is sleeping. Or my favorite insult, maybe he's on the throne. Not the kingdom's throne, but the other metaphorical throne. And so it's just like, man, I love that insult. But the problem is a lot of people probably think that's where God is. The one true God. Oh, he's not involved in my life. He's not living and active. He's not here in my presence. He's, okay, maybe he's here because we have this gathering. But when I go out through the world, God's not there. He's distant. And we're allowing that to creep in, and we're going through this series on approaching God, where what we believe about God is how we're going to approach God. And so if we believe that God is distant, it is going to change how, not only how we approach God, but also it's going to change how we live our lives. 
Because, oh, God's, God's not active. He's distant. You know, I'll do that long-distant call to God whenever I'm in dire need of something. I'll throw up a Hail Mary of a prayer and then hope that he answers and comes to me. But really, I'm not every single day. God's gone. He's distant. And so that's what we're going to look at today. How God is not distant, but really what we're going to look at is three reasons why it appears that God is distant. Because in all reality, we have this whole like roller coaster of life where it's like, oh, I'm so close to God. These kids that came back from camp probably feeling super close to God and then give it a week. And their friend's going to call them a bad name. They're going to have drama in the house. They're going to have a bad night's sleep. They're going to eat stale tacos, whatever it is. And they're going to be like, God, I don't really feel your presence right now. And we all go through that. Go on a mission trip. Oh, God, you're so close. Get back to work. Where'd God go? I mean, highs, we're close to God. Lows, we feel away from God. So we're going to look at three reasons why God appears. And I want to use the word appears distant. And then we're also going to look at three ways associated with those as to how he's not, but how we can actually be in relationship daily with God. And so if you'll stand, we're just going to open up in prayer. Usually we read a passage, but we're kind of going to be all over in the Bible today. So I hope you got your fingers all greased up, ready to flip through the pages, but we're going to open up in a word of prayer. So Father God, thank you. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you just that we can come together openly, sing praises to you, profess your name, that you are our Lord and Savior. God, that's such a blessing from you. But I pray for faith that even if that freedom is taken away, God, we still stand firm in your word. And God, I just pray that as we open your word today, we see how close you are. And we refute these lies that you're distant or that you're, you're in a hands-off approach. But God, that you are here and you want to be involved in our lives. And you want to guide and direct us to what is good and fruitful for us. So God, may we just have hearts that are submissive to you in everything. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So the first reason that uh, I kind of see that it seems like God is distant is really just one of everyday life. It's just, you know, we go through that roller coaster of life. I mean, three weeks ago, I was just like waking up like, yes, let's go. Life, it's great. And then this past week, I've been waking up and I'm about to jump back on the coffee binge. It's just like, man, I need more coffee and more coffee and more coffee because I'm tired through it all. And we all have that roller coaster effect. And so that's really what the first reason that God appears to be distant is, is because we feel like God is distant. It's, it's just something that we base our feelings on. Like, man, today I was in the Word and I felt like God was there. And then tomorrow, be in the Word and it's like, God, I didn't feel you today. Are you actually here? Were you actually speaking to me today? God, I didn't feel like you were present. I mean, the crazy thing is, is that David, the man after God's own heart, experienced this same thing. 
I mean, David's life was definitely one of a roller coaster. He was a shepherd, and then as a teenager, he was called to be a servant of Saul the king, and then he saw this Goliath, literally Goliath, coming out and insulting everybody, insulting his God, and so then he says, you know what, you come at me with swords and spears, but I come at you in the power of God, and he hurls a stone, smacks Goliath in the head, and all the people love David because he defeated the giant. And so then it's like, hey, things are great. Everybody's singing. Saul kills his thousands. David is ten thousands. He's like, yes, God, you are so good. I'm living in the palace of the king. Everything is good. And then Saul tries to take his life because Saul gets jealous. So he hurls a spear at him again. And then he does it two more times. And so David goes on the run and is living in caves. And in my opinion, this would be one of those times where David would have wrote Psalm 13 which is going to be our first text today. Because, I mean, you go from being in that high to living in a cave, and obviously my response would be, God, where are you? You anointed me as king, and yet here I am in a cave. I mean, Joseph in the Old Testament would be the same story. God says, all your brothers are going to bow to you, and then he gets sold, thrown in a well, and then he gets uh, accused of adultery and almost rape, and then he gets uh, uh, thrown in prison, and he spends two years there, and I mean, it's this roller coaster. And it's this feeling that David had in Psalm 13, where he felt like God was distant. He said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and I have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And so, I mean, that's like you can feel David in that psalm. Like, God, are you forgetting about me? God, I'm crying out to you. I need your help, God. But you seem distant. You seem like you're not even there. God, I'm not feeling your presence right now. How long is this going to go on? How long am I going to be in this valley? How long am I not going to feel that emotion of joy that you come, or that I feel when you're there? I mean, we all feel this. We all profess Jesus as Lord, and yes, he is my everything. But we all hit those times where life just throws us a curveball. And it's like, God, where are you? I thought you were good. I thought you were faithful. I thought you were in my life, but I'm not really feeling you right now. So imagine, what if we based everything on those feelings? Because we're not called to base everything on feelings. We're called to base it on truth because the Bible actually talks about how we should not trust our feelings. I mean, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, it says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And so the the writer there is saying, if you trust all your feelings, if you say this feels right, so I must do it, you're pretty much a fool. Don't trust your own mind. Then he says earlier in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that will seem right to a man, but its end leads to death. Its end is the way of death. I mean, look at how many, look at our world today. Oh yeah, this seems right. This seems good. It feels right. I'm going to do it. And then it's like, man, there went, there went death. 
Like, maybe not literal, they're dead, but death of relationships, death of careers, death of literal health, death to so many things, because we're just blindly following whatever our heart tells us. And then Jeremiah seventeen nine it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I mean, just look back at your own life, and we're not going to do confession time right now or anything, but look back at your life and think of all the decisions that you made based off of feelings. And I am a very emotional person, and emotion can control my life. And so it's like, just, just think of this one, and like, don't look at the person if they're sitting next to you or anything, but think if you married that first person that you said, I love this woman or man, and I'm going to marry them. I'm fourth grade, but I'm marrying them. I mean, how, like, that would not be a wise decision unless God was guiding you in that. But we don't follow those feelings. I mean, imagine if every time you felt like you were un, un, unappreciated at your job, you quit. You'd all be without a job everywhere. You'd pretty much be homeless, probably. Think about, as parents, Every time you said, oh my goodness, I regret having this child, none of you would ever say that, I know. But it's just like in that feeling, it's like I am ready to kick this kid to the curb. And you acted on that feeling. I mean, feelings are horrible, horrible guides on how we should live our life. So what is the guide? Because David is feeling distant from God in this psalm. God, how long? Are you going to forget me forever? How long am I going to struggle in this? How long am I not going to feel like I'm in your presence? And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says what we're all called to do. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I'll sing in the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We don't trust our feelings. We trust the word of God. And so what God's word tells us is not that God is distant when we feel like he's distant, but that God is here with us. We trust what his word says in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. We trust what his word says in Psalm 139, 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Like God knows when we sit, when we rise, when we go to bed, when we wake. He knows our thoughts. He is involved in our life. Psalm 139, a couple verses down, verse 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I, shall go, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24. God saying this, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? So whenever we're thinking like, God, it just feels like you're, you're not here. We say, forget my feelings. I'm going to rely on the word of God which tells me God is present. God is active. God is here in my midst. God lives within me. 
He is so close. He knows my thoughts. He knows the thoughts that I have when I hope nobody ever knows them. He knows them. And he stays with me. God is not distant, but he is close. And so what we do is what Paul tells the church in Corinth to do. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, he says, The weapons of our warfare, we fight these not with flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy these arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought. And we, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what we do is when we're in those feelings, we say, that can't be trusted. I'm not going to live in my feelings. I'm not going to be led by my emotions. I'm going to be led by the word of God. I'm going to hold firm to his word. I'm going to take this thought captive to Christ who says, I'm with you. Who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He says he is here in our midst. And so one of the reasons that we always feel like God is distant is because we feel like God is distant, and it is a lie. It is not true. And so we combat that by just holding firm to the truth of God, that he loves you so much that he gave his only son for you. But in all honesty, sometimes I don't believe it is a feeling. Sometimes I think there actually is a distance created between us and God. But the thing is, from this moment on, when I'm talking about this distance, it is never initiated by God. It is never God saying, well, I'm just going to turn and walk away from you. It is always mankind getting away from God. Sometimes we distance ourselves. And we do that because as Americans especially, we're amazing at filling calendars. We're amazing at filling every single moment of our day. Even if it is a time of doing nothing, we fill it with something. We don't take time like God said in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Instead what we do is we be busy and put God on the back burner. We, we distance ourselves. And what, what I want to say here is this is not separation. I'm not saying that what God is doing is saying, you are too busy. I'm going to remove you from my book of life. I'm going to pull back salvation. Because Romans 8, 38 through 39 tells us, I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. Whoop, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so nothing can separate us, but we can allow stuff to come between. We can allow things to kind of distance us from God. And so that's what's going on. That's like, I heard it said one time, this husband and his wife, they were driving single cab, you know, the old single cab pickups that had the bench seats. And man, like, you know, you get married, lovey-dovey, everybody like, ooh, she's going to sit right next to him while he's driving. And he's driving. They do that for a couple years. They keep driving. And, and then for whatever reason, time passes on. They're married. They're more comfortable around each other. The feelings have faded. And she just kind of starts gradually inching further and further away until finally she's all the way at the window. And there's room for another person in between them. And so finally one day while they're driving, she's thinking back and like, oh, the good old days when we were in love and it was so wonderful. And then she finally looks at her husband and she's like, you know, we used to ride side by side and now there's this gap between us. What happened? And the husband, 
looks at her and he says, honey, I haven't moved. She was the one that pulled away. Now, I'm not attacking women here or anything, but that is how we are with God. God's not moving. He is that firm foundation, but what we can do is we can be like, ooh, I got to work a couple extra hours because we need that extra income because I need that new toy. So, you know what? I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be in the Word because I stayed up too late watching the game. I'm not going to be with God because I have too many uh, gardening things to do or too many whatever it is. I have too much going on that I can't be with God. I'm not making time to be with God. And so what we do, God hasn't moved, is we start to get further and further away. I mean, Jesus, he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But I would say we, we don't necessarily just try and serve God and money. We try and serve God and sports. God and whatever it is, we, again, do an amazing job of filling our calendars. I mean, I used to have a problem. It was like an undiagnosed problem that I had where if I looked at my camera and there was a day where nothing was on it, it was like, I got to fix that. I have to have something in my calendar telling me that I'm doing something because to do nothing is not good. I mean, like literally, how many people take a Sabbath still? Where you say, I'm going to take a whole day and do nothing but draw close to God and be re-energized in God. I mean, everybody's like, yeah, that's a great concept. Yeah, the Bible says it, so I can't refute it. But it's not likely in today's society because I've got too much going on. And I'd say, whoa, we're missing the point of everything. Like God's word tells us that we are to stay close to him, but we allow things to pull us away. I mean, this is the case with multiple people. When Jesus was calling them to follow him, they all had responses. In Luke chapter 9, it says, They, Jesus and his disciples, were going along the road, and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Because Jesus, man, living with you is the high life. It's the good. I'm going to be famous because you're famous. And Jesus responds, excuse me, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's not, it's not the glamour life. But then another said, follow me. Jesus said that to him. And the man responded, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first go and say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, here Jesus is inviting these people and they're all like, hey, like I want to, but can I go take care of all this other stuff first? Like, hold up, I'm not quite ready to follow you. Like Jesus is saying, hey, you can come be in my presence. And they're saying, there's other important things I got to take care of first. I mean, what's your thing today? Where Jesus is like, hey, hey, I want to spend time with you. Like, hey, can we just carve out like 30 minutes in the morning? And you're like, man, I really wanted to, but playoffs were last night. And I stayed up and watched, and then I had to be at work, and I slept in because I was too tired from the game. Or, man, I really wanted to, but I got that project coming up, and so I got to wake up, and that, that's more important right now than being with you. I mean, we do that without ever saying it. We, we 
gradually inch further and further away from God, allowing stuff to separate, not separate, distance us from God. And so we're not walking in that closeness. I mean, a great example of allowing even service for God can interrupt being with God. Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 10. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha, she was, notice what it says, distracted with much serving. I mean, noble serving. She's trying to get the house ready because Jesus is there. But she was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, in love, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary, your house is going to get dirty again. Or Martha, your house is going to get dirty again. The dishes are going to need cleaned again. The another project's going to come up after this one. Jesus will never be taken away. He is what we need to hold firm to. And so that's what Paul, he tells us in Philippians. That we are not to seek, or that we don't. He says the problem is, is that we're not seeking Christ, but we're seeking our own desires. Philippians 2.21. He says, they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. James tells us that's why a lot of prayers aren't even being answered. Like, God, it feels like you never say yes to me in my prayers. It feels like when I pray, I'm speaking to the air and there's nobody there. And James, he just blatantly says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Lost my place. He says to spend it on your own passions. He says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Did you hear what that said? To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. There's too many Christians who are trying to balance the, hey, I want to be the best friend of the world, and I want to serve God. And as Jesus just told us, you cannot serve both God and money, both God and the world. You cannot serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll love the one and despise the other. And so Jesus, he says that these desires, these like, oh man, but I I just really want for my child to be the next superstar. I just really want to be CEO. I just really want to, you know, whatever it is. I have all these aspirations that I really want. And Jesus, in the parable of the sower, tells us in Luke 8, 14, as for what fell among the thorns, he said, those, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, They're choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Because they hear the word, and it's like, man, God, yes, so good. And then it's like, oh, but look, there's this shiny thing, or there's that shiny thing, and ooh, I want, and that feels good. I mean, the mantra of America right now is if it feels good, do it. And that's going to mess a lot of things up. And Christians do not live by that. So yeah, it feels good to be CEO and to be famous and to have a name and money and toys. But it's not good. Because that's going to perish. 
But your soul, your relationship with God is worth so much more. So what do we do in those situations? Like, okay, yeah, that's where I'm at. Like, I have put so many things between God and me. What do I do? You repent. Because what you're doing is you're walking this way. And repent, fancy word, for turn back to God. You go to God. Luke 12, 31. Instead of seeking all this other stuff, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. So if you feel like there's this distance between you and God, call out to him. Turn back to him. Repent and go to him. James 4, 8 says it this way. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Realign your priorities to putting everything about God first. And it's like, yeah, but we live in a secular world. Yeah, you might not be the coolest dude in the town, but you will have a relationship with God that is far greater than anything else. And so sometimes we just feel distant from God. Sometimes we put a gap between us and God. And then the last one is sometimes things aren't hunky-dory. Things aren't that good between us and God because of unrepentant sin. Not just unconfessed, but unrepentant sin. Because what I see a lot of times is people, and I'm really good at this, I'll confess it with no intent to change my heart. It's like, but I got it out there, so I feel better about it. But what God desires is for us to, yes, confess it, confess your sins to one another. That's James 5 but also to repent, to say, man, this is wrong. And it, it literally, this is what put Christ on the cross. And as one famous person said, I cannot love the very thing that put my best friend on the cross. How can I be in love with sin when it killed my Lord and Savior? I mean, we heard it said this way last week, uh, God's word will keep you from sinning or sin will keep you from God's word. And so if we have unrepentant sin, that is going to put a wedge between us. It puts that wall between us and God. Proverbs 15, 29 tells us this. It says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. I mean, that's some pretty strong words there. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Because Israel was living in this unrepentant sin. Now, yes, we're going to fall short, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. But God is forgiving, and when we confess and when we repent, he is faithful. And he will remove our unrighteousness from us. That's 1 John 1, 7. It says, If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And then verse 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will remove us from all unrighteousness. And so God calls us to forsake the things of the world and to live for him. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says this, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. And so what I want to do is I want to I challenge you. Because again, what, what we've already read is that our heart is deceptive beyond all things. But I want to challenge you, maybe if you're feeling, feeling like God is distant, to kind of look through this and see, okay, is it a feeling in which there's truth that God is not distant? Or am I allowing too many things to distract me And is my calendar too full? And honestly, the thought of quiet time with God freaks me out because that means I wouldn't be busy. Then you're probably putting a gap there. Or is there unconfessed sin in your life and unrepentant sin where you're saying, yeah, I know God's word says not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Then there's probably going to be a gap there. And if you're really brave... I would encourage you to find someone who truly knows you and ask them, hey, do you see any unrepentant sin in my life? Do you, because my relationship with God should be the number one thing in my life, and I want nothing. And as Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six tells us, my, my feelings and my mind, whoever trusts in his mind is a fool. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to trust in my mind, so I'm asking for godly guidance. Will you tell me, is there something in my life that you see that is unrepentant, that is separating or drawing me away from Christ? And I want to change it. I mean, that's, I plan on doing this. Now, please don't just come and like berate me with stuff. You know, we speak the truth in love. But I challenge you, ask somebody that. And if there is, like if, if somebody comes up and says, actually, yes. I have seen something. God tells us how to be back near to him. He says in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I will abide in you. So if we're living in that unrepentant sin, what we do is we repent, we forsake the sin, and we come back and we abide, we walk, we live, we we serve God in everything. I mean, the Israelites, they were told to do this. Because they were, they were literally robbing God. God told them, give me the first of your fruits. Give me the first fruits. And they weren't. And so in Malachi chapter 3, it says, From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithe and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Why is God telling them to give him the first fruits? Because it's all based on trust. Saying, God, I'm going to give you the first of everything I get because, God, I trust that you are going to be good and that you will provide for me. And so the way that we rob God now is by not trusting him and saying, no, God, I don't believe this. And so the way we abide in Christ is by trusting what he says. 
and returning to him and living for him. I mean, Isaiah 55, verse 6 through 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If there is unconfessed sin, God is ready to forgive. What you need to do is repent of it. Forsake it. Come back to Christ. Turn around. And the crazy thing is, like we looked at last week about the parable of the prodigal son, that son went away, he squandered everything, and then he came back, but he did not have to go the full distance. It's not like that father kicked back on the uh, front porch recliner and said, yeah, keep walking, come all the way. But instead, the father saw the son and he ran. So when you turn around, God is ready to be there and take you back. He wants to be in relationship with you, but we are allowing too many things to come between us and God. Because again, the thing is, God never puts that distance there. It's always us. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But if we've put that gap there, God's ready to close it. When we repent, when we say, God, I want to live for you. And so if there is unconfessed sin, I challenge you, just during this song that Kurt's about to lead us in, reflect on your own heart. God, is there something that is not right between you and I? And pray, God, reveal it to me. And then, uh, if you're really brave, ask somebody that knows you. And just say, hey, like, you know, I, I, I really want to be right with God. Will you let me know if there's some way that you see that I'm not right with God? It's a scary thing. But it's also, I believe, a step to truly walking with Christ in the ultimate way. Where we're not letting anything come between us. And so, during this song, check your heart. And then if, you, if you, there is unconfessed, unrepentant sin, and you need to come forward and just let people know so that we can walk with you, not beat you down, but bear your burden with you, I encourage you, come forward, and we'll pray with you. And then hopefully we'll be checking in with you and saying, hey, you know, the thing is, you got to get ready, because if you confess and repent, we're ready to be there with you. And I hope we have a group full of people who are ready to check in on you and be like, hey man, you came forward, said you were struggling looking at images. How is that going this week? Or hey man, you, you had a problem with your attitude. Is it better? How can I pray for you this week? How can I be there for you? Do we need to go talk? Do we, whatever it is, we're ready to do life with you. If you have a decision, now is the time for you to reflect and to make that decision. As Kurt leads us in a song, I'm gonna pray for us. Father God, We thank you that you are not distant, God, even when our feelings deceive us. God, let us hold fast to your truth. But then, God, there are also times that we do just let things come in between and just the busyness and whatever it is. God, may we, your people, have a heart to just draw near to you. God, Right now it's easy because we have this time set aside, but we're going to go home and there's going to be things that try and pull us away. We're going to go to work and they're going to try and pull us away. God, let us hold firm to you and your word. And then God, I pray 
That if there be anybody here who is living in unrepentant sin that is just defiantly saying, God, I know what your word says, but I'm doing this anyways. God, convict them. Convict me if there's any in my life so that we can just be holy, living for you in everything. God, we need you to do the work in our hearts, and so may we just surrender it all to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. If you'll stay-